Hey guys, this is Craig Hostetler, and I'd like to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. This is episode number 24. Number 24. All right, uh, a couple of quick things. If you want to hear me uh, talking with True Seeker, now if you don't uh, remember uh, who he is, I had him on my podcast. Really cool dude. Uh, kind of an esoteric, eclectic guy of the faith. Really like him, though. But anyway, I was on his podcast. We talked for like an hour and a half. Anyway, it's cool. Go check that out. You can find him at TruthSeeka. That's Truth, S-E-E-K-A-H dot com. And, um, yeah. So I'm on his podcast, uh check that out. Also, I want to thank those of you who have connected with me online, right? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Thank you so much for um, all the likes, all the comments, uh, messages, all that stuff, man. makes a huge, huge difference. I sincerely appreciate it. Uh, And uh, I think that's it. Yeah, so uh, over the next couple of weeks, we are going to have several guests on the podcast. Today it is you and I, but uh, yeah, I'm going to have several guys uh, and gals on over the next several weeks. Anyway, what I'd like to talk to you about today is something that we are call uh, calling the awakening. Uh, it's a little bit of an interesting term. Maybe seems a bit complex, I guess. Um, but how many of you know, or how many of you notice this mysterious churning that's kind of happening within you? You know, the Apostle Paul talked about the fact that we need to stir up the gift within us. And how many of you, your gnosis, uh, your knowing, your illumination, is really a move of the divine deep within. Now, sometimes we call that awakening. Uh, we call that intuition. There, there's several different terms for it. Uh, but awakening is a good term because that essentially is what is happening to us on a conscious level. The spirit within has always been awakened. The divine in us. It was the Apostle Paul who said, um, the Holy Spirit is in you. So the divine within us has always known the way, has always known the truth, um, and has been speaking truth to us. It's always resided in knowing. It's always been connected to you know, divine realities. But, and I'll touch on this in a few moments, for most of us, the process of our psyche understanding and grasping eternal truths that takes time for us it's a process it's 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 evolutionary it's growth you know all those kinds of different things in so many cases um, our learning 
is an acknowledging of a truth that resides deep within us. So that is to say that for so many of us, well, there, there, there is a truth that resides within us. There is uh, a divine knowledge that resides within us. And our intellect, our ego, uh, the flesh, whatever it is, gets in the way of, I guess, discovering or learning or hearing that voice of the Spirit. Uh, Origen, who was a prominent Christian teacher who lived way back in the 200s, he even perceived or offered, I guess, maybe the idea uh, that our knowing, our awakening, you know, this awakening process um, was a gnosis of remembering. So it was almost a divine remembering what the Spirit had always known as opposed to learning something brand new. Now, similar to you and I, um, as we call the morning light, you know, a sunrise, when in reality the sun isn't rising at all, right? It's always been in the same spot. So we call it a sunrise for whatever <laughs> whatever reason because we're, we think that the world revolves around us, right? Uh or the universe in this case. So we call it a sunrise when in reality the sun isn't rising at all. It's always been in the same spot. What's really happening is the earth has moved towards the light. And so it is uh, with us moving in such a way that illumination, um, brightness, our portion of the earth, or ourselves really, we spin in the direction of illumination. So the sun doesn't technically rise or set. It's our perception of it that changes. And so what I'm doing essentially, obviously, is I'm using a universal truth as a metaphor. We call it the sunrise. We call it the sunset. But the truth is the sun doesn't rise, the sun doesn't set. It's always in the same location. What's really happening is the earth is turning deeper into the illumination, deeper into the light. In the same way, the world spins from the sun and, and it grows colder and darker as well. But it is the earth that is moving. It is the earth that is turning either into the light or away from the light. Now, purely this is a parable to illustrate the same status of our own mind and heart. We essentially uh, are always awake. It is our ability to accept, to receive, um, particularly in light of what has been superimposed upon us. You know, you and I go through much of our lives believing things all kinds of things. Things about ourselves, things about God, things about life, about living, and they aren't even our own thoughts. In other words, they're not an evolution of our own intuition. They're not an evolution of our own knowing. But instead, um, many of our belief systems that are sometimes deeply ingrained within us, you know, the things, and I, in 
the aforementioned things I just listed. God, life, ourselves, so many times our ideas, our beliefs about those, that list of things, um, they're, they're nothing more than a superimposition of other people's thoughts and ideas. Now, I've talked about this before, but I'd like you to hang with me just for a moment on this on this possibility because I think it's really critically important. How many of you, if you could review your life, the influences that have been in it, how many of you today could say, you know what, a lot of my ideas, a lot of the things that I believe were superimposed upon me, maybe by a parent, perhaps by a spiritual teacher, pastor, Sunday school teacher, etc., um, a good friend, or just somebody that was influential in your life, right? They superimposed upon you who God is. They superimposed upon you the nature of God, the disposition of God. They superimposed upon you ideas about your own self, what you were and were not capable of, your temperament. Uh, you know, I used to have a guy when I pastored a church um, who had a, a terrible temper and he was always mad about something. And the thing that he used to say, the excuse that he used to make to me consistently was, well, you know, everybody says, I'm just like my grandpa, because my grandpa, well, he had a bad temper too. So what was happening there is uh, the sphere of influence that was around him, they were superimposing upon him, his nature, his personality, his individuality. They were superimposing upon him a character trait that even <laughs> it actually belonged to somebody else, right? So it was somebody else, as if temperament can be passed down. Uh, it actually, the this temperament belonged to an angry old uh, uh, individual, right? His grandfather. And throughout the formative years of his life, his parents perhaps aunts and uncles, whatever, people of influence, would say to him, ah, you're just like your grandpa. Ah, he had a bad temper too. That's where you got it. You got it from your grandfather as if his temperament was something beyond his control. Now, this is a sort of brainwashing. I know that's a harsh word for it. and We'd hate to think that our loved ones would brainwash us, but essentially that's what happens. It is an ideal repeated by an influential individuality, and finally the ideal is no longer a suggestion. But it's a truth about who we are, or about who the universe is, or about whom... God is. Um, and so many times we are afraid of what others have told us to fear. We are subjected to what others have told us to submit to. And for the most part, we are living out life, the drama, by a playwright other than ourselves. Most of us, carrying beliefs of another individual's mind. Ralph Waldo Emerson 
uh, who I just love, said, listen to the inward voice and bravely obey that. Now, what Emerson is saying is, follow your own convictions. Know your own soul. Know your own heart. Know your own mind. And follow that. Bravely obey it. See, um, The Apostle Paul talked about living before God with a clear conscience, following God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. This awakening or remembering or gnosis or divine revelation, you know, your soul knows, seemingly interestingly enough, if you can shut out the voices that surround you. And listen to me for just a moment because we're going to get kind of new age here. (laughs) Oh, man. If you can shut out the voices that surround you and find a place of silence or solitude and listen to your soul, listen to the voice within, um, oftentimes you'll know something isn't right. And so this gnosis, this divine revelation Um, is the Holy Spirit really speaking to us. Now, what's interesting about this is um, the functionality of the Holy Spirit is to lead and guide us. In fact, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth, into all righteousness, into love. And so many of us were not led by the Spirit, but instead we are led by the law, really, for so many of us. And and when I say the law, I would like to expand that to, to more than just biblical text or our apprehension, our intellectual comprehension of that text, but also to laws that exist outside of the text. Things that people have always said to us. Uh, statements that people have made, and, and I'm talking about things that were spoken over you, negative connotations, you're not that smart, or you're never going to be pretty enough, or you're never going to be smart enough, or nobody's ever going to want you. And, you know, for some of you, you hear things like that, well, who would ever say nobody's ever going to want you? People say that to other people. Um, they suggest an idea long enough that eventually the idea, the suggestion becomes a truth in another person's mind. And they, they really believe nobody would ever want me. They really believe I'm not attractive. They really believe I'm not intelligent. I don't, I'm not smart enough. Or everything that I do falls short and, and I'm lazy. Or all these kinds of things. There are so many things that are spoken over our lives. And they're superimposed. As I said before, they're superimposed upon our lives. They're superimposed upon our spirit. They're super, and, and this superimposition, it, it acts itself out in everything that we do, whether it's on the job or in a relationship, in our, um, in our spiritual, uh, uh pursuits. Uh, this, this imposition affects everything that we do throughout our existence. And so this is why it's so terribly damaging. And this is why the Bible says to take every thought captive and bring it into obedience to Christ. And what he's talking about there is not Christ imminent, but Christ transcendent. 
right? And so, man, we need to talk about that one day. Imminent is different from imminent, right? Imminent means um, it's going to happen no no matter what. Imminent means um, bodily, right? Present. Now, the interesting thing about Jesus is he is imminent and he is transcendent. Okay, I'm chasing a bit, a bit of a rabbit trail here, but you've got plenty of time, right? You're going to hang. So what I'm saying by that is there is Christ the body sitting on the throne, as it were, and that's a bit of a metaphor, but sitting in a position of power, you know, coming back on a white horse, resurrected, all that. There is Jesus the Christ who exists as a, an individual. And then there is the, and that's the imminent, the imminent. And then there is the Christ that is transcendent. And this Christ that is transcendent, he is everywhere. The creator of all things and, as the Bible says, in all things. The transcendent Christ is everywhere. And the transcendent Christ is in you and around you and it's that voice in your in your head and in your mind. And so you've got to begin to open yourself up to the eminent Christ who is uh, Christ the uh, I, I don't know what I what what you'd call it. The the um, well so many of the creeds chose the name um, or the descriptor person because there wasn't really a good word to describe the persons of the Trinity, right? Uh, and so they would call it persons because there is the person, the personage, the person of Christ. But then there is also the transcendent Christ. That Christ that is everywhere. In all things, um, like the like the Apostle Paul said, in Him we move and breathe, and in Him we have our being. That is the transcendent Christ that Paul is talking about. It is this incredible, uh, effervescent essence of the Christ that is essentially the world, the universe, the trees, the everything. And that's not pantheism. That's panentheism, uh, which means God in the world. And it, it lines up completely with Scripture. Uh, I don't know exactly how I got onto that, but it, it's critically important to understand that. This awakening, this gnosis, this divine revelation is a powerful influence that exists all around us. Now realize that so many of us are really shackled by the idea, and this is going to get some blowback, a sola scriptura, right? That was a Martin Luther thing, right? Sola scriptura, by scripture alone. I like that idea in some instances. Absolutely. How powerful and beautiful and wonderful is scripture. But sola scriptura, interestingly enough, isn't really scriptural. Um, it has its place in our faith, and then again, it really doesn't. You and I were never intended to be people who relied solely upon intellect for spiritual truth. Hang with me, uh, you evangelicals that are listening. 
hear me out for just a moment. So many of us are shackled by the idea of sola scriptura, which certainly has its place in our faith. And also it doesn't. You and I were never intended to be a people that relied solely upon intellect for spiritual truth. We, after all, were given the Holy Spirit to lead us, uh, to guide us. The vast majority of the New Testament is an epilogue of gnosis. If you haven't listened to some earlier podcasts where I talk about Gnosis. It's not to be confused with Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism was a belief system many, many centuries ago. Uh, And the Gnostics, they chose the word Gnosis to describe who who they were. But the two are completely different. So the Gnostics are a group of individuals who had a certain sector or belief system. Um, by and large, they were rejected by Christianity, by prominent individuals in Christianity, Clement being one of those. By the way, for those of you that are in the deconstruction process, let me guide you or shove you towards a, a couple of people that you need to check out. And this is just a bonus, has nothing to do with the uh, with the podcast today. Check out Clement. Check out St. Francis of Assisi. Check out uh, Origen, right? Uh, three guys that were highly regarded within uh, the conversation that is Christianity. Uh, Origen later became... Uh, labeled a heretic, but at one time that wasn't the case at all. A uh, very widely accepted teacher and leader in the Christian church. Origen's great. Clement is great. St. Francis, beautiful soul, beautiful soul. Um, and very uh, believed heavily in the sacred cosmos, right? He called the sun brother sun and the moon sister moon. This is the kind of guy we're talking about. And and just a great, uh, really cool individual. So, St. Francis Clement, origin. Now, anyway, so Gnosis, I digress. Gnosis is divine knowledge received from God. And we see that when Peter says, you are the son, uh, you are the Messiah, right? And Jesus says, uh, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you but my Father in heaven revealed. So Peter is experiencing and speaking out of gnosis, divine revelation. Now, the vast majority of the New Testament is an epilogue, um, a writing of gnosis, which only later became concrete truth. Now, Paul admits to writing under the inspiration of a higher and more insightful essence that you and I call God. He talks about the fact that his writings were essentially inspired. Now, 1 John 2.27, a verse you probably heard before, um, but not one that is typically pushed or presented very often in evangelical circles. And it's 1 John 2 and 27. And it states this, You have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. Pause. Poetic pause. Right? 
You've received the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. The author then proceeds on, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. He proceeds on, for the Spirit, which is in you, teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. Now, what's interesting here is the Apostle Paul is encouraging individual gnosis. That means people like you and and myself. To listen to the Holy Spirit that is deep within us, that speaks to us in a very personal way. And for that voice to be our truth. Um, let's recite that once more. 1 John 2.27. I'm just going to read it as is without my commentary. 1 John 2.27. You have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not true. A lie. So God, dwelling deep within, communes and really essentially fuses uh, with our soul. So the two, the Holy Spirit and our own spirit, they really become one. Uh, um, what part in us is this union? Is it our body housing the great I am? Uh, that was stated certainly by by the Apostle Paul, uh, but I think that's really a metaphor. Is it our mind and our thoughts, our imaginations, our feelings, our emotions? No, it isn't that either. Um, the psyche has thoughts that can be contrary to the ideas or the thoughts of God, and we still have to be cognizant of the thoughts we entertain. After all, the sacred text that we hold so dear, uh, it tells us to take every, to take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. What is it then? Uh, that fuses deep within us, something that is beyond the body, yes, something that is beyond the mind. It is that it is that divine essence, as one author said, um, so infused with the inner I am, the inner man, that one cannot determine where it is that God begins and I end. There's a Hebrew story uh, that God made a statue of clay, and uh, it was a man, an empty vessel, an avatar, if you will. And he asked a soul to enter into the clay. And the soul refused to enter, saying, in this dark room, I'm afraid to enter this imprisonment. It's a captivity. And uh, do you wish me to enter this grave? So so in the Hebrew parable, analogy, metaphor. Uh, It called the body itself a grave, something dead. So then God said to his angels, sing and play a dance. Now, this is a story. It's not a truth. Okay, Sing and play and dance. And the angels sang and they played and they danced and the soul came into an ecstasy and in blindness of ecstasy entered into the body of clay in which then it was now captive until the clay would pass and the soul would be unlimited once again. So the Hebrew story uh, 
parable, you know, whatever you want to call it. It's not a truth. Don't send me emails about how, you know, screwed up this story is. It's trying to make a point. The Hebrew story was to illustrate that deep within us, um, boy, I wish I could remember the author that said it. Ah, he was a slave. Anyway, he said, you hold within you a fragment of God. Oh, wretched soul, and you know it not. And so what the Hebrew story is telling us is that deep within us, we all come from a place that is ethereal, that is divine, that is heavenly. And um, we focus on the limitation. We focus on the lack. This inner individual fused with the Holy Spirit knows nothing but joy, nothing but beauty. Its own nature is peace, and its being is life itself. It's not intelligent. It is intelligence. It's not a soul, but spirit. It is not human, but divine. That is to say that for the most for the most of us, from the moment we enter into this world of form, we are inundated with identification of form. Now, let me expound upon this just a little bit. Um, the Bible says that we are the temple of the living God, that the Holy Spirit lives within us. In fact, the Bible says that uh, there is a part of us that is spirit, that is eternal. Now, for let's for the sake of the evangelicals, and I don't believe there is a hell, or I don't believe that humans go there, or souls. Uh, and we'll talk about recapitulation theory by my man Clement. We'll talk about that next time. But for the evangelicals out there, at least this we can agree on, that there is a part of us that is eternal. Eternal to the realms of heaven or eternal to the bowels of hell. And every evangelical Christian believes in the eternality of the individual. Not the body, not the mind, but the spirit of that individual. Now that spirit that is eternal exists in the here and now. If you're alive, if you're listening to this, if you're Whatever you're doing right now, you're driving, you're laying in bed, you're eating a sandwich, maybe you're mowing the lawn. Dude, I listen to so many podcasts when I'm mowing the lawn. And uh, it's funny where we gain our wisdom. But anyway, wherever it is that you are right now, if you're alive, there's a part of you that is, there is a part of you that is eternal. There's a part of you that never ends. And for this, the sake of the evangelical argument, we could, we could agree <clears throat> on very few, but this we can. You're eternal. You're eternal to the heavens, or you're eternal to the hell. Origen believed in the pre-existence of our soul, that our eternality 
was before and after all time. That's a completely different subject. We won't dive into that. But nonetheless, there's a portion of us that is metaphysical beyond this realm, even beyond this understanding. There's a portion of us that doesn't learn by uh, flesh and blood, as Jesus described it. We don't learn by the sound of a voice. We don't learn by the seeing of our own eyes, the hearing of our own ears. Not by a textbook or another individual. But as First John noted, we learn directly from the Spirit itself and the eternal part of us. Those are the ears and the eyes that see and hear. But for most of us, we're raised in a world of form. We're inundated with identification of form, how we feel, what we see, what we desire. And most of us, more than likely, we're not born to you know, uh, gurus and sages and apostles. Most of us don't have that kind of a up and upbringing. Now, I was very fortunate. My parents were, uh, gee, what would I call them? Domestic. <laughs> Here we go. My parents were domesticated hippies, right? They uh, they had jobs. They were well educated, had kids. But they did uh, some of the other things that hippies do. And in addition to that, they held many of the, their ideals um, as profound uh, belief systems in their own lives. And so I never grew up with much prejudice. I never grew up with, um, you know, a, a whole lot of judgment. That didn't come until I got saved. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get judgmental until I became a Christian. Then, holy, wow, it was on, right? No, um, it wasn't raised with that. And 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 what a great upbringing it had because of that hippie influence in my parents' lives. But most of us, we weren't born to gurus, sages, and apostles. I've gotten way off track. What I'm really trying to say is that most of us are taught to identify entirely with matter. Okay, form, flesh and blood. And very little, if any, attention was given to uh, spirit, to hearing the voice of God, to hearing the gnosis or the divine revelation of God. Uh, let's face it, most of us are under the influence of a westernized Christian influence. Our spiritual upbringing, uh, if we had it, wasn't about connecting to the divine. It was about attending service. Moral subjugation to moralities, sometimes divine, sometimes biblical, but oftentimes humanly comprised. It was utilitarian, not mystical, not ethereal, not metaphysical. Our faith was functional, utilitarian. Uh, it read more like a business contract than 
unerotic, ecstatic experience that was ethereal, that was outer-worldly. And so as you and I know for myself, whenever we try to comprehend the things of the Spirit, when we try to comprehend Gnosis, when we try to comprehend you know, something like, I mean, we hear verses like this, right? Uh, that talks about how we need to treat, treat people because we never know when we are entertaining angels unaware. Do you understand what that verse is saying? It's saying be nice and be good to everybody because you never know when the person that you're encountering isn't a person at all, but it's an angel and you just don't know it. <laughs> That's what that verse is saying. I think for so many of us, that's mind-boggling. We can't comprehend that that could be a reality. That is like goofy, weird, um, strange Christianity or, or perhaps some type of Eastern religion. But that's Scripture. Uh, and so most of us aren't raised with that. You know, a um, a sage, and boy, it's so funny because I, I know the sayings, but I don't know <laughs> the individual that said them. But a wise man once said, or was asked, what is the reason of pain and unhappiness? And the wise man answered, if I were to say in one word the reason of all the pain you see in the world, it is limitation. Limitation is the cause of it all. One sees that my means are scarce. Another one says my position isn't high enough. The other one says I lack the love that I need. And the other one says I have no learning or no friends. Maybe 20,000 different complaints can be put to that one word limitation. And where does this limitation come from? The the sage said. The limitation comes from a heavenly being who has turned his attention on his earthly vessel. Um, I, I love that. I absolutely love that. And I get it that most of us are more deeply connected with this avatar, this vase, (laughs) or vase, as we say in the South, that contains the true essence of who we are. Most of us are much more identified with what we do for a living, what we look like, who thinks we're pretty or cute or smart how much money we make most of us are much more identified with that and and what this sage is saying is that this limitation of the flesh which exists for everyone um, it brings us pain It, 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 it brings us a sense of lack because a heavenly being, a spirit being, has its attention turned 
to an earthly vessel. Um, and what do we pursue? What do we seek? Uh, we're seeking after a feeling of freedom, and we're seeking after a feeling of spiritual connection. But in reality, most of us are doing that in ways that we're only pursuing captivity. We're running after those things that we think are going to make us free. But they don't make us free. They make us more and more captive. So the more we try to gain, the more we try to achieve, the more we try to make a name for ourselves, the more we try to pursue dreams and goals and ambitions. And there's nothing wrong with goals and dreams and ambitions, obviously. There are things that we have to do in this world, things that we're even perhaps, and I hate to use the word called because I think that inappropriately applies to us a uh, destiny that's probably not a reality, right? But I do think that there's things, there are things that we are perhaps, they are a part of our, they are a part of our plan here on the earth, right? And so I think that there's ambitions that we should have. I think that there are things that we should pursue after, but most of us don't pursue after those ambitions from a spiritual drive. Most of us pursue after those ambitions because we're trying to find a definition of who we are. We're trying to allow or trying to make this vessel, this body, um, create a definition. I am preacher, teacher, rock star, um, model, beautiful, uh, great guitar player, right? um, podcaster. All these descriptors that are not descriptors of who we are at all. Dude, this flesh, this existence will die. It will melt away. It will rot. And it will turn to dust. But the eternal essence of us that I completely believe in the true ethereal I am that's who we really are and with all the talk of freedom today life is more captivity than ever before and what a man says he wants is freedom but what he pursues is captivity a wise Sufi sage said that. What a man says he wants is freedom, but what he pursues is captivity. And that's absolutely true. So the essence of what, I guess, the conversation is really about, and I realize that in some ways I've chased a lot of rabbit trails, and um, I do think each one of them have been beneficial though how do we more intensely identify with the 
you know, in the esoteric Christian um, belief system, there's the true I, which is the deep resonance within the spirit, the eternal us. And then there's what they call the little I, which is the ego, the flesh, the role that we play in this world. So using those definitions, how do we become the true I? How does that become our identity? And this other stuff, this stuff that isn't even really real, certainly temporal, how do we let that fade or at least be overshadowed by the light of the ethereal us, the eternal us? That, I think, is our spiritual work to subject the ego, to subject this earthly form to the ethereal I am, which is you and I, right? Our spirit. So that's it, man. That is all I have to say to you today. I hope that it, you know what? I don't hope it does anything. It is what it is. I love you guys, man. You are a wonderful family. God bless you. And I will check you out next week. Done. (laughs) 